Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe he didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. We're going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. By Hay Bale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here. Downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts or watching this on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, wherever. Make sure you hit that like and subscribe and follow button. And if you like what you're watching, share it with your friends. We're talking the unofficial state bird, the rough grouse today. And uh, our guests are Ben Bredigan from OnX, also Matt Soberg from Covey Rise, and Jared Olofsson from the Lake of the Woods uh, chapter of the Rough Grouse Society. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Very good. How are you? Thanks for coming on the show. Fantastic. Ben, I want to start with you, actually. When you were looking forward to this year's grouse hunting season in particular, uh, say in Minnesota or Wisconsin, kind of this general region, were you looking forward to it as uh, compared to the last couple of seasons? Yeah, you know, we're on the, you know, we're definitely on the down down cycle right now. But um, if you put in the work, you can find the birds, right? If the, the habitat's there, um, in my experience, it negates some of that. So, uh, and at the at the end of the day, we're still on the high part of the cycle. So, yeah, I was I was very much looking forward to spending some time in the grouse woods. Matt, Matt, what about you? When it when it came to this season, were you looking forward to it? I mean, you're always looking forward to it, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I w- my initial thoughts were, um, you know, with drought reports out west affecting birds and uh you know it was it was pretty dry here too and i didn't really know how that affected the uh the uh spring um you know nesting and breeding and everything that's always kind of a gamble you don't know how that's all going to shake out after the biologists do the um, drumming counts a little bit before that so um you don't really know what the season's going to be like till you get in the woods but that's kind of the beauty of it you know you get out there, get the dogs out running, try to find some birds, and then you can kind of get a handle on where where you feel everything's at, at least in the covers that you hunt. Can we, Dan, can you bring that picture back up once again? That was a pretty cool picture, Matt. Did you, did you actually rough up those feathers like that for the picture? No, that was the, just the natural rough of that, 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 that bird. Cool. Um, and it was a young, it was a, it was a younger male too, actually. It just, just had one of the biggest rusts I've ever seen in a, in a bird. And that was up, uh, up, I just bought a 40 with some pretty good habitat on it. Um, this last year. And actually that was the first bird I shot on my own piece of property up by Pine river. Ah, that's awesome. That's way cool. Cool Cool picture and a neat story too. And, uh, the drought affected a lot of things, of course, in recent weeks and uh, the last month or so, I suppose we've had quite a bit of rain and even a little bit of snow. Jared, I know you, you did some walking in the snow, uh, recently on the star of the North trail. How was that hunt? It was very fun. Um, 
woke up and it was snowing a little bit here, we decided to grouse hunt. And by the time you got down to the state forest, there was about an inch on the ground. Hmm. So the, the grouse were holding pretty tight. The dog had to work a little bit, but it was a nice day to be in the woods. Tell us more about that trail that you were on. Star of the North Trail is a, a dream of our local chapter. We started building some walking trails for hunters up here. And up here, there's a lot of ATVs, there's a lot of UTVs. So we wanted to make some more all-inclusive type trails. And what we came up with is the Star of the North. When we're all said and done, it'll be about 72 miles um, of trail. Some will be ATVs, some you can drive a vehicle on. The bulk of it will be hunter walking trails. We've got pictures of that trail too, Dan, and and uh, P P one and P two week four seventy eight if you can find them. But uh, maybe you can pull them up later in the show. But um, you've you've so you've actually spent a lot of time not only walking and hunting on that trail, but you spent a lot of time working on that trail. Absolutely, we we do trail work every year whenever conditions allow. Um, this summer we were able to do some because of the drought. Things are a little drier. A bulk of our trail work gets done in the early spring when it's frozen, and then we go in in the fall and get them ready for hunting season. Matt, um, because that, that trail, that trail's not that old, right? No, we've only been working on it about four years. Yeah, that's right. Matt, you, weren't you with RGS when that whole thing took place? Yep. Yep. Um, I know a little bit about it. I, uh, Jared and, and the chapter up there re- had really done an excellent job with that trail. It's, it's innovative in a way. Um, you know, they came up with, with the idea and put in all the hard work and uh, not a lot of chapters are doing that. And I think it's, it, it's really an excellent project from the funding, from the actual work on the ground, and then what it does for the future of access and, and uh, recruit, hunt, hunter recruitment for grouse hunting and things like that to create that, that much trail that's um, a, with a lot of hunt, you know, walk-in only type trails into really good habitat it's 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 really pretty phenomenal how, how long is that trail right now we have about 40 miles done okay so we are we are cruising along quite quite nice and is there, there's plans to expand it then yes our to to get the full loop we need to do 70 miles or 72 and change so we have we have a little bit farther to go and that's open open to hunting open to hunting and the, there's people that uh, fat tire bike on it just for exercise. There's people that run on it and bird watch on it. So it's, it's kind of an all purpose trail, but come fall, there's a lot of birds on it. I bet. Uh, non-motorized? <laughs> non-motorized. Yeah. The, the, the walking sections are really, they go through some prime habitat. Um, and the DNR has worked with us as well for doing some cleanup cuts and some, some logging to stimulate that new growth on us on sections of our trail. So it's, it's been pretty good. I want to discuss logging a little bit later in the show and how important that is. Uh, but Matt, let's go back to you for just a minute. Cause I want to talk about some, all, all three of you had some pretty neat recent hunts and I want to talk to all three of you about that. And Matt, you were sharing some pictures of, uh, you had, so you were with Cubby rise. You had some of the guys from Cubby rise up. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun hunt. It was a uh, John Timms, who's the Cubby rise publisher. And then Terry Allen, the uh, well-known photographer, and then uh, Gil Morgan, a guy that works with Cubby Rise as well. The interesting thing was Terry and Gil are from Georgia, and John is from Alabama. Oh, boy. And uh, Terry and Gil have hunted grouse and wood. Yeah, it was interesting. Terry and Gil have hunted grouse and woodcock up in Canada, but it was the first time that John ever got to do it, and it was sort of on his bucket list. So 
we rented a little house um, on a lake up north and spent four days just hitting it hard. Um, my dogs got a workout, but we found some birds, got those guys on some birds, brought a few home, and and uh, it was a great hunt. Real quick, just tell us about Covey Rise. Yeah, Covey Rise were, um, is a upland hunting lifestyle magazine. Um, we are now celebrating uh, our 10-year anniversary this hmm. year, which is pretty phenomenal in the world of of uh, print magazines. Um, we feature, some people think it's just only bobwhite quail, but that's not true. We feature all different types of uh, wild bird species and feature places and people and shotguns and art and food and bourbon and cigars, all the things that we like to do from you know, hunting in the field to um, what you like to do to celebrate after as well. I got food, bourbon, cigars, bird hunting. Mm-hmm. And you must have either uh, a, p- a picnic table that looks like barnwood or just like some barnwood that you stage photographs on. It looks like, cause yeah, they're cool yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I do every once in a while. There's out West. There's a, there's a couple little buildings. I mean, you, you, you know what it's like when you drive around some of those oh, gravel yeah. roads up there, you find some of those old houses and the old barns and they're just picture perfect for uh, setting up some photos. Absolutely. Uh, ben, I want you to tell the story of your recent hunt too, because uh, you hunted with George Lyle, and he told me that it's one of the best days he's had in the grouse woods in many years. Yeah, it was it was a great uh, great trip. Uh, I'd been up in that area before, and and the habitat was phenomenal. A lot of good timber cuts in that, uh, you know, probably 2010 to 2014 range. And I was just like, heck, George, let's let's go up there and give it a shot. And walked uh, walked in on a trail, and George is like, I just have I have a feeling. Let's bail off in the woods, and and we went bushwhacking for the next four hours, and uh, it was fantastic. Just great habitat, just a perfect mosaic of some tall aspen, spruce, um, just that kind of perfect classic grouse habitat, and. Um, swamp edges, all that good stuff. And I think, uh, you know, we hunted till about probably from about nine to noon and moved 26 birds and a handful of woodcock. And, um, it was just fantastic. George was coming off a trip to Wisconsin where he, he was having a hard time with the shotgun. So I've never seen George that amped up to go <laughs> kill grouse. <laughs> really? And, and so he came out swinging and, and we were able to, I think to get get five down by noon so five down um, by noon which, which was yeah he's a pretty good shot that surprises so, me yeah he had a he had the whole laundry list of excuses from his glasses <laughs> blah 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 but but uh i think he just he just needed the confidence back so uh always a great time he has got some just unreal the diners so yeah. i love hunting with boone and tuck and Minnie. they're it's just always a pleasure and George is such a fun person to be around. So I love to spend every second in the field with them. So that's, what's fun about hunting with him. I mean, even if birds are getting missed, you get to see his dogs work and I hunted, I duck hunted with him and many a couple of times earlier this year. And I'm becoming a, a, a bigger fan of cock, English Cocker Spaniels. Every time I'm around them, I thought about getting one this year. And then after watching them, uh, uh, work many on on those ducks even this year. I'm I'm even a bigger fan. And you had a pretty interesting story with Minnie catching a live grouse on this trip. 
So yeah, we, we had got out and, and Tucker, we were running Tucker, Amos, my dog, and then Minnie. Tucker went on point, I think like at 120 yards. And I was just looking at the map and it's like, oh, this is a, you know, clear cut. It said it was like 2015 or something like that. And, and walk in there and Tucker is just boom, locked up on point. And it's like, okay, cool. This is kind of weird. It's probably going to be a woodcock because it was fairly sparse and there was a bunch of grass in there. It's like, yeah, this is definitely going to be a woodcock. And George went to go release him because Minnie had been running all over the place through there. It's like, there's nothing here. And he wouldn't move, you know, like, you know, when a pointing dog has one pinned right there and he was just like, he wouldn't even hardly move his eyes. And so Minnie was rooting around and all of a sudden, boom, just hammers right into this, like a clump of grass. It couldn't have been more than knee high, not even thick. And there's this girl she comes out with, like, beautiful tail fanned out and just brings it to George. It's like, huh, I've seen it with roosters, but I've never seen it with grouse before. So that, that was kind of funny. So at that point, that was zero shots fired and one grouse in the bag. <laughs> he probably trained many to do that after missing so many while he was in Wisconsin. <laughs> Let's be, let's be honest. I didn't even think about that. I got to tell him that. <laughs> uh, ben, this is, uh, you've got a pointer. This is your, is this your first pointer? So, yeah, this is my first yeah, pointer pointer. You know, I've got two, two drought hards, which are pointing dogs, but um, I guess you could say this is my first official true pointing dog. Did you grow up with labs though? Nope. So I actually grew up with short hairs. Oh, you did. So, uh, okay. yep. So I've always been a been a pointer guy, but you know I've hunted behind a number of labs in my life as well. well I was gonna say I think a lot of guys that have labs that start to do more upland hunting become pointer owners eventually. I don't know how many times I've thought about going to a pointer, but I just I like labs so much it's gonna be hard to do it. But uh, pointers are fun to hunt behind. I guess I like the challenge yeah. of trying to shoot them further away. I think is my problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for me, I went from a pointing dog to an even more pointing dog. And and to be honest, you know, there, I don't know, I'll probably catch some hate from this, but there's pointers and then there's setters like mm. that. Even I, I love my draughts, but uh, they're just, those pointers and setters are, are in a different class of their own. In my experience, watching what they can do, they're just specialty built for that one purpose, um, bird hunting. So they're just, they're naturally good at it. Matt, what, what do you got for dogs these days? Uh, ben, I just want to let you know, I'll be up on, on your statement there. So <laughs> I got your back. Um, <laughs> I got, I have three setters right now. So my oldest dog is 10 already. And, uh, then I have a four year old and then I got a pup that I brought. Well, He's not a puppy anymore. He's, he's, he's one year now, just turned one, but I got him from in Montana last year when I was up there. So yeah, was um, that, that wasn't really planned. Was it? No, I was out there actually <laughs> on a, on a magazine, uh, story and it was, it was really cool. I got to, uh, hunt with this trainer, um, and he had just, just had a litter of puppies. And so I saw these puppies for like four days straight and, played with the puppies for that long of a time, which was kind of unique and cool. And then I also got to, got to watch both of his parents hunt for like three days straight. And so, man, he had, had this puppy for sale and 
I didn't even tell my wife, but um, <laughs> I paid him the money and I brought the dog home. I, I didn't decide to text her until I was, I texted her a picture of the, the new present I was bringing home, but I was like halfway back, <laughs> back from Montana already by the time I told her. What did so, she say? Uh, this isn't the first time I've pulled this on her, so <laughs> she's pretty used to it. It's, <laughs> it's just one of those things. So That's hilarious. And you're still married. Yes. Okay. Yep. Luckily. Yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty patient. That's for sure. That's funny. Uh, Jared, that picture that you shared, you, you have a yellow lab. Is that what I saw in that photo? Uh, yeah. British red lab. Oh, it's a British red. Okay. All right. How do you like, uh, how do you like those dogs? Actually, this is my first British red. I love it. Um, that week that we grouse hunting prior that we, we did a pheasant hunt at a pheasant farm Saturday morning and then grouse hunt or duck hunted Saturday night and right into grouse hunting Sunday morning. So, and multi-purpose. Yeah. I love, that's what I love about labs. So versatile. What, uh, male, female, what's the dog's name? How old? Male. Male? Male. Ole. And he had just turned two that day when we went grouse hunting. So. Ole. Nice. All right. Very cool. Um, and they're, so they're a little smaller and, uh, is he, is he a quiet dog? Cause they're known to be a little bit quieter too, aren't they? Yeah, very. He's he's two years old, but he acts like he's nine. So he's calm, and when you take him on the field, he's jacked up and ready to go. But you come back home, and he lays around. He's quiet, good with the kids. So he was he was a good choice. And that's usually the exact opposite for labs that you hear. No, he's nine, but he acts like he's two. He's uh, <laughs> right, kind of loud and that's all my previous labs were like that. Well, I'll tell you, that's, you know, that's a nice thing about Tiny is she is, she's small and she's pretty quiet. I mean, she's got these little, little noises that crack me up every once in a while. She gets excited and makes these, these little, just these little whiny noises that sometimes it drives me crazy, but sometimes I can't help but laugh at her when she does it. Cause they're just, they're just hilarious coming out of that little dog. And then sometimes if there's coyotes howling outside, she will wake you up out of a dead sleep and you'll think the house is on fire. Like it's, it's the meanest, loudest, scariest growling bark howl that I've heard a dog make. Uh, and coming out of that little pup is, is kind of hilarious when, uh, when you see that. Um, Matt, I want to come back to you for a second. Ben kind of touched on it when we talk about the cycle and, and rough grouse uh, go through this population cycle. Where are we at right now? And when you look at the cycle, uh, and where we're where we're at, does that is that what you're seeing? You know, is that uh, is that displaying what you're seeing in the woods right now as far as grouse numbers? Yeah, um, uh, Ben and Jared, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're on the downward, supposed to be on the downward um, curve of the cycle, and so. Um, but it seems, but the last few years, I think the last three or four years have been a little different. It's almost like it's at least anecdotally over the last few years, it seems like it's kind of evening out a little bit. It's not as, it hasn't been recently as drastic as it has in the past. Now I'm not, I'm a barstool biologist, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a scientist or anything, but, but anecdotally applying that to what I'm seeing in the field this year, it seems like I'm seeing a few more birds than I did last year, actually, hmm. at least, at least just in my areas in central Minnesota. But, uh, 
Well, that's what I, I've been seeing. So honestly, far. I've been hearing that from a lot of people. That's that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you guys all that question. And Jared and Ben, you guys can weigh on this too if you want to, because uh, I've been hearing and getting messages and pictures from a number of guys around the state, you know, in the northern half of the state that have been out there chasing grouse around a little bit. Even when there were leaves on the trees, they were shooting birds. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, because I'm Ben or Matt, if you remember when we hunted, gosh, I suppose it's might have been, is that 2018 when we hunted with Hank up there? Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it's mm-hmm. been that long ago now already. Our grouse hunt that we filmed for Prairie Sportsman turned into a woodcock hunt. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously hunts can do that no matter what year it is. But uh, it seems like numbers are better this year. Yeah. There's so many other factors that go along with it too. We touched touched on that a little bit earlier. You know, the, the, uh, the springtime weather, mm-hmm. you know, based on when that comes can have such a profound effect on hatches and the young birds you'll see in the fall and all of those things so if 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 everything works out in that you know late may early june time frame when when all of that's happening you can you know the the fall numbers might not show exactly what was predicted in the spring when they do the drumming counts because that's all totally different and there's so much that goes into it you know well what year was that that uh they put out the the drumming counts here in minnesota and everyone was jacked because it was way up and then i think we had a hailstorm in june or something like that and uh, numbers were not good that fall yeah and if that happens during that specific time frame i think we also had some like straight line winds some big oh, wind yeah. storms that came through that were pretty tough on on wildlife around here so all of that can kind of affect that and and again like i said you never really know what you're gonna see until you get out there but that's sort of the flip side of it is sort of sort of the beauty of it as well so. all right guys i want to transition a little bit into some tips for other hunters that may be going out there whether it be for the first time of the year or just planning on going back out even this weekend um jared are you are you a deer hunter too absolutely but northern minnesota what are you gonna do that's right that's right it's, it's almost law in this state i think what do you do you recommend if you're not deer hunting if you want to grouse hunt just to stay out of the woods this weekend no um with the with the trail systems that we have in place and the loops we have in place um there's plenty of room for deer hunters to be out there and there's plenty of room for the grouse hunters to join them so if it's a nice weekend i'd i'd get out there um when do you uh is there much trapping that goes on up in your neck of the woods there's not a lot there's a lot more in the winter especially for uh beaver along the rivers but it right now there's not a lot going on so you don't worry about traps too much up where you're at no i don't worry about traps too much um come winter if we're doing late season grouse hunting and we're specifically along the river bottom i'll be a little more cognizant of it but right now it's it's not an issue do any of you guys carry tools with you? Um, like, yeah, okay, Ben and Matt both nodding mm-hmm. out there. Ben, what do you bring with you uh, just to make sure that if your dog is caught in a body grip trap that uh, you're able to try to free him quickly? So in terms of a body grip trap, I'm not as concerned with because I can generally do that by hand. What really gets me is like snares. Like that's, oh, yeah. that's what's going to do it. So like with a body grip trap, I'm proficient enough. I've trapped. Uh, I feel comfortable to do that by hand and get a dog out. But, um, you know, I suggest I always bring like a bolt cutter or a cable cutter with me uh, because that snare is if you don't have that with you, there's no way you're going to get that dog out of it by your hand. We're, we're with, a, you know, the, the, the body gripper, 
a conner bear, you can actually manipulate that by hand for the most part or step on it. So Yeah, they basically just tell you to bring like a zip tie, right? To wrap around one of the sides there. You crank her down and wrap it around to hold it open. Yeah, and I've got I've got zip ties and I've I've done it enough unless it's a really big one. Um generally I can I can do it by hand. So t- walk us through that. So say someone's out there trying to trap coyotes or something and your dog gets caught in one of those snares. What do you do? So, so snares, it's kind of the time is of the essence, right? And um, it just another big thing is how you train your dog. So with the, the system I use, pressure on the neck means, all right, stop. Like that's don't move. Uh, that's just from e-collar overlay. So generally, you know, I like to think and who knows what happens, but, you know, generally, hopefully they stop because the more they fight it, the tighter it gets. So if you're going to go up to it, I mean, it's, and that's why I think running, especially on pointing dogs, a GPS collar is worth its weight in gold. And for me, it's paid for itself a hundred times over the last, whatever, 10 years. So uh, essentially you have to get up to it and you have to have that good cable cutter and just get under there and, and nip that lot. Just like that photo, I've got almost an identical one in the bottom right corner. So hmm. unfortunately, and, and oh, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, because, you know, it's showing you how to unlock it by hand. And, and I can imagine in the heat of the moment, like, oh, I don't want to be trying to fool with it, have a dog. You know, I've pulled porcupine quills out of a dog and trying to, like, a 50-pound dog, you think you can, like, hold that dog still? No, it's 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 hard. So that cable cutter is going under there and just snip it and you're done with it, so... I'm fortunate I don't run into too many traps out here in the in the prairie. Occasionally guys are out there working on coyotes, but a lot of times it's after after I'm done pheasant hunting anyway. Uh, but Matt, have you ever seen a trap out there when you've been running your dogs? Yeah, I've seen some traps. Um, luckily, I haven't had any, you know, horrifying um, accidents or stories that you do sometimes here. Um, I carry a snips like Ben, and then they they make some other tools as well. There's, there's a, um, aluminum, uh, release. That's probably, I don't know, eight to 10 inches long that actually it's really, really light and it fits in your vest. I carry one of those and I just try to, I try to kind of pay attention to the, you know, the, the trapping dates and everything just to be aware of when they might be out there and, yeah. and everything. But, you know, at the same time, I, I support trapping and I support trappers and I believe that's yep. an important thing for all of us to work together in the future too. So, for sure. you know, when it comes to that stuff, I think there's, there's a place for all of us. And so I don't, as long as you're prepared and you know what you're, know what you're up to, you know, where you're at. Um, I, I don't really worry about it too much myself. I mean, that's number one. You just have to know going in and, you know, sometimes I think that's one of those maybe limiting, you know, um, factors for getting new people out there they get worried about this or that or whatever they don't know how to do it but being prepared and knowing what what you may run into in dog safety is it's got to be number one out there you know whether it's uh from you know gunfire or from you know uh traps uh just getting cut up on barbed wire or logs or sticks you guys all carry some sort of medical kit with you too for your dogs Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Jared, what do you carry in yours while you're out there? I've got just about everything I need. Um, I carry it dual purpose actually for my dog, but I usually have kids. I like to bring 
our kids, neighborhood kids out as well. And things happen in the woods. So I've, it's, it's an inclusive kit that is going to serve due purpose. I haven't had to use it yet and I hope that it never have but it never hurts to have it in your pack. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know grouse numbers uh, seem to be, be a little bit better this year, but in recent years haven't been the greatest. And every, every time somebody has a bad day or they uh, they don't they have a bad season, you'll see comments on social media, different Facebook groups, whatever, about lowering limits. And honestly, that goes for anything, waterfowl, walleyes, whatever. What do you guys think about where the rough grouse limit or even, you know, Sharpie limit for that matter? Uh, what do, you, what do you think about the limits where we're at right now? And uh, maybe, Ben, maybe I can start with you. And you you hunt in different states for different upland birds. What do you see out there, and how do you think we do here in Minnesota when it comes to limits? Yeah, we're talking for rough growth. You know, I think we have a very generous limit. Um, and if you can shoot five birds in a day, hey, good. more power to you. Like, go to town because they're – I mean, I can maybe come on one hand, if that, on how many days I've shot five. So, you know, for me, if they said, all right, you can only shoot three grouse, I, I wouldn't really care because for me, it's it's more about, you know, getting out and seeing good dog work and that kind of thing. So if they lowered it to three, that's fine. But, you know, I've got to kind of, I've got to, a stick in my craw about when you know they talk about bad numbers and people not wanting to get out and i just say like i i mean frankly just kind of hell with that like there there's granted you talk about the swings for example like you you talk about maybe a, a drum count of at a low year is 0.7 per stop 0.7 drums per stop versus at a high of the cycle maybe two and so that's not that big of a swing really i mean it's so there's if you find the right habitat you can always find birds in my experience so you know people complaining oh i don't hunt from you know from 2005 or whatever it's like no they're out there you just have to you know you have to be able to identify better habitat and get more dialed in so uh, that's my tangent <laughs> well since we're talking about tangents and regulations uh, and the and the gun deer season is opening up in Minnesota. How, how do you feel about how do you feel about season dates in Minnesota for the deer season? Oh, I think at this point, <laughs> if it wasn't for tradition, I think they should they should change it. I think they should change it anyways. Yeah, you know, uh, I've hunted countless states for deer, and uh, you know, as a person, like my personal beef with it is it cuts our grouse season off by a couple weeks versus like Wisconsin, but. Um, you know, I put that poll up on my Instagram and of the whatever thousand, some people that responded overwhelmingly, I think it was a 92% of people wanted deer season moved back, yeah. um, for one reason or another, whether it's so they can bow hunt through the rut, uh, for, in terms of, for QDMA deer age making, yeah, 80% now. So, um, yeah, whether it's for quality deer management, but I would personally love to see it move to even a, even a week later would make a huge difference um, in terms of pursuing quality deer and um, in terms of the harvest. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a biologist either, so I don't know what it would do for harvest numbers, but I'd love to see it changed. 
I really should get more involved in the gun deer season, uh, particularly here in Minnesota. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever hunted with a gun in Minnesota. It's always been bows. I grew up rifle hunting in Wisconsin during that Thanksgiving nine day season. Uh, but even then I don't, I pretty much just bow hunt now. So it's not really a factor for me, but I'll tell you what, like I always, the week before the gun, like this week has been the week to be bow hunting. Like all of a sudden this week, uh, there's deer movement all over the place. The crops have come down, the ruts kicking in. I'm excited. And now Saturday, it's all going to change again. Deer are going to be running for their lives. Stuff's going to go nocturnal. And uh, so I, I would like a little bit more time to bow hunt personally, but that's just, that's just my two cents. And I don't know if any of you guys want to weigh in on this. Ben, we'll stay with you right now since we're talking about it. But I, I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial, maybe not. I don't know if I'm a fan of the four-day uh, youth deer season in Minnesota. I feel like four days of guns going off around MEA, that's a lot of guns going off at deer right now in a lot of areas pushing deer around, and it did have an effect on deer movement. Now, it's it's come back a little bit here this last week. It hasn't been so bad, but you know, with all these youth seasons, are they making a big difference in recruitment? And I, I'd be curious to find that out if that's, if it's actually working or if it is making some of the regular seasons, at least the, the openers a little less successful. And that we can save that topic for a different show. I just want to, that's my tangent. I wanted to go off for a minute, I guess, Ben. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, and that's a, that's a lot to unpack, but yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for, for me, for me personally, as soon as deer season opens up, I'm out of the gross woods, hundred yeah. uh, percent. You know, we get, we get all of, you know, half of September or whatever, all of October. Um, I don't want to go screw up somebody's hunt. I don't want to have my dog shot. I don't want to be shot. Yeah. So I stay out of the gross woods in Minnesota. I'll go over to Wisconsin or go out to South Dakota and, and, uh, go bird hunt out there, but I'll, I'll give deer hunters at least that first weekend yeah. um to just go do their own thing maybe during the week i could sneak out but um i i've i've had some bad experiences in the past and i just said not worth it yeah i i don't like losing some pheasant days too uh to those all those gun hunters pushing the wmas and the public lands around here a lot of times if i am out there i throw an orange vest on my dog uh, just just if nothing else for some peace of mind uh for myself and I want to talk about the future with you guys before we wrap things up here in a couple of minutes. I want to talk about the future uh, of hunting in general, but grouse hunting. And while I think that some of these youth hunting opportunities are are great, maybe have had an impact in some people. And it's all. Let me be clear. I all, I always take kids out and introduce them to the outdoors. I'm not trying to say don't do that. That doesn't mean you can't, just because we have a youth opener, it doesn't mean you can't do it during the regular season. And I think there should be more people doing it during the regular season. If if it's so important to you about introducing kids to the outdoors, take them out the second week of the season, the third, take them out every day. Um, so I just want to be clear about that. But I think the most important, one of the most important aspects of hunter recruitment and retention is more about land access and giving people a chance to hunt. And when you look at hunter numbers declining over the years, you could say we had, maybe there was just a heyday in, in actual public hunting. Because I mean, if you look at the history of the DNR, it only goes back, you know, a hundred years almost. So when you look at license sales and you see a peak there, are, are we going down because there's less people hunting or did we have a peak there? That's a, that's a debate for another show. But What's changed is that all those people that used to hunt in the 70s and 80s, 
there was either a lot of public land or everybody just, yeah, you want to go hunt? Yeah, go, go ahead. You know, go past shoot on my pond and back or, or whatever, go push my grove for, for deer. It's all changed now. So much private land has gotten locked up that there's more reliance on public land. And then when you pull up into a parking area and somebody else is parked there, now you got to go somewhere else. It gets a little frustrating. So that land access, I think, is one of the most important parts of recruitment. Now, Tom Landwehr did come on the show here last week or the week, two weeks ago, I guess, and said, hey, we got 12 million acres of public water that you can go duck hunting on. So there is still quite a bit of public. And Minnesota is, I think, fairly unique when it comes to land access. We have quite a bit of it around here. But ben Ben, coming back to what OnX is doing, uh, what are they what are they doing right now to increase public land access and hunter access right now? Yeah, so that's that's a big founding principle of the company is the access and stewardship uh, initi- initiatives we're doing, um, and a lot of that is um, if you've we've talked about it in prior shows, but like our. Um, are pretty much uh, access program. So allowing people to access landlocked pieces of property. Uh, we put out reports for all county or all uh, regions of uh, the country showing how much land is landlocked. And then so we're working on a lot of projects. So we'll work with Pheasants Forever. We'll work with RMEF trying to uh, open up these larger pieces. And by doing that, by picking these just strategic areas it's not just buying a 40 acre that's in the middle of nowhere it's a 40 acre piece that might open up another 2,000 acres or you talk about out west it might open up another 10,000 acres that kind of thing Um, so we continue to work on that and work with a lot of the conservation organizations to continue to open up property and also to uh, improve it for uh, whatever type of, of game you're pursuing on it. And that's important to open up land that's already there, that's already public land. We just can't get to it. That's important. But Jared, when we've got some of that public land and we want to uh, create better public land, how important is that conservation work in the future of, uh, you know, to the future of hunting? Very important. Um, I'm a proponent of public land. A lot of my hunting is public land. Uh, the more we can open up, I think that's it's, it's a brighter future. You look at northern Minnesota where we have our trails, uh, Beltrami Island State Forest is thousands and thousands of acres. You can go days without seeing anybody on when you're grouse hunting. And, and I think that embodies what us as hunters want is that public land. Yeah, absolutely. Well, keep up the good work up there. And um, when it comes to, to habitat, obviously creating habitat is important. And Matt, I know we've, we've probably talked about this in shows uh, in the past, but how important is logging when it comes to wildlife habitat? It's absolutely essential. And uh, that's one of the biggest communications and messaging battles that we've fought forever. We've never you know, uh, conservation organizations or the hunting public never really been good at convincing the public or legislators or the people who changed policy for us that actually cutting trees is a good thing. Um, what we need for healthy wildlife populations, whether it's deer, turkeys, rough grouse, woodcock, songbirds, is we need healthy forests. We can't just have old growth forests. That supports certain types of wildlife, but it doesn't support the, the species like rough grouse and woodcock that require the young forests that re- actually regenerate after we do 
clear cuts and, and things. So like you see a clear a picture of a clear cut day one, it looks pretty ugly on the landscape. And that's everything that you see the environmentalists and the anti, you know, the anti um, logging industry. They That's what they want to point out. But you go back to that exact same spot three or five years later, and it looks totally different. That's where all the wildlife are. And, and so that's just the message that we, we need to continue to put forward as much as possible. It's a tough one, but it's absolutely necessary, especially for the future populations of grouse. Oh, I might even see some and, more moose on the landscape too. Yeah, exactly. And to, yep. to piggyback off, to piggyback off what Matt was saying, um, one of the worst things for, for biodiversity is old growth forests. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, young aspen cut or something that's 20 years old, it's going to hold way more game. And the problem with old growth is it just, it ends, ends up just deteriorating, right? Um, maybe a few deer wander through there, but even with deer hunting, you look at uh, aspen cuts, clear cuts, like that is prime bedding area. So it's not just supporting girls, it's supporting a, a whole host of, of biodiversity. So, um it's just something that I think we just continue need to get the message out um, because as a conservationalist, that's important. Well, to ensure we have a future in the outdoors, whether it be hunting, fishing, uh, whatever, there's a couple of things I think we need to make sure we have in that suitable habitat, that's land access, and that's people that care about it. So how do we get all those? You volunteer to do some of that conservation work. You uh, go out there and introduce people, and you find ways to inter- to uh, get onto that some of that public land by having an Onyx membership, of course. You join local organizations and chapters like Rough Grouse Society. Society. And all, actually, all these conservation organizations, they're the ones doing a lot of the legwork at, at the Capitol with the government. And that's where we have strength to make sure that we have our rights to go out and hunt and fish. So there's strength in numbers. So join a conservation organization. Subscribe to Covey Rise Magazine as well. We'll plug, we'll plug all three of them there, uh, gentlemen. And uh, just get out there and do it and introduce new people to do it. And, uh, you know, have fun while you're doing it. That's the most important. So uh, Matt Soberg, uh, Jared Olofsson, and Ben Bredigan, thanks for the time today and good luck the rest of the season for you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brett. See you guys. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store, For hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more, go to SportingJournalRadio.com. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Lac Caparl is one of Minnesota's premier waterfall hunting locations with 50 to 100,000 geese staging annually. And Mid-Migration Outfitters offers guided duck and goose hunting around the Lac Caparl area. Call now to book your hunt or visit MidMigrationOutfitters.com. That's MidMigrationOutfitters.com. That's MidMigrationOutfitters.com for guided duck and goose hunting around the Lac area in western Minnesota.